0: agorist podcast episode six my name is james and today i'm excited to be joined by the great vin armani as always you can find today's show notes at urban six and with that let's get into it vin uh well you're kind of everything i i first discovered you as like the crypto guy that's all i knew you about knew about you was that you had something to do with bitcoin um and now you're like the magic guy and I wanted to talk to you about that more than anything because I don't know shit about magic. So uh, why don't you kind of give us a better intro of yourself? Because you've done a ton of stuff, and I don't want to talk out of school.
1: Uh, well, I, I mean, I think I think I'm the maybe the crypto guy because I'm the magic guy a little bit. Nice. I think there's a connection there. So I, I I would say that I've I've more been the magic guy. That has been my that's been my thing. Certainly, I think the first time. The World Heard My Name was I uh, ended up as the star of a TV show called Gigolos on uh, Showtime. And if people have watched that show, they will understand immediately that like, oh, yeah, he's definitely always been the magic guy. So it's a very sort of a magical show. I would say that it's uh, it's a reality show. I found myself, I I mean, my professional background is as a software developer, but I've also been in the entertainment business since I was a kid as a DJ, music producer. And so I spent a lot of time in nightlife and was living in L.A. I'm from Southern California and basically ran into this would have been in the early 2000s, ran into the guys who at that time, I guess, were called the seduction community or the pickup artist scene. And there was a, a, a book by Neil Strauss called The Game, which was very popular during that time. He was a, a Rolling Stone reporter who had sort of infiltrated the scene of guys who was in um, West Hollywood kind of going around the Sunset Strip. And they're pickup artists. And the, the, it was all about, I mean, I always viewed it as a self-improvement thing. But I think for a lot of people, there was this element of magic there that it was like, oh, I can walk into any bar and see some hot chick. And then there's some magic words that I can say and do. And then all of a sudden she's like coming home with me. And to a certain degree, that was true, but this particular scene of guys, and and weirdly enough, a lot of them actually were stage magicians. That's something that they had come hmm. from and hypnosis and all of that. So they brought all of these kind of techniques in and it was the illusion and the misdirection and the hypnosis. And a lot of those guys were doing that. For me, I saw that and I thought that was valuable. These were things I'd been interested in for a very long time in my life and had studied a lot. I, uh, you know, I, my degree is in philosophy. And so, this is is an interest. And uh, it had been an interest for me for a long time. I fell in with these guys, became very good, sort of approached it in a different way that I said, you know, sort of turned it internal as opposed to I'm going to hypnotize these women out in front of me. It was more like, no, I'm going to become something different. So it was uh, what people who are practiced in magic might say, for me, it was an alchemical experiment and an alchemical process right the spiritual side of alchemy which is not that you're going to create gold out of physical lead but Uh that like you start out as lead and that by spiritual practice you can turn yourself into gold and so in doing that i became became very well known i ended up meeting a guy who had started weirdly enough and i didn't even know it existed at the time a straight male escort agency so he had very wealthy women who were hiring his guys. Uh, And this was the very early days of that. I ended up meeting him through one of the many women that I had picked up out and about, uh, sort of a wealthy woman. And through that, Showtime ended up wanting to do a reality show about his agency. And he asked me if I would be a part of it. I was software developer at the time. I was uh, actually one of the early developers at a company called Saatchi Art, which is Charles Saatchi, the famous art collector and ad guy. Um, it's his site, it's one of the biggest um, contemporary art sites in the world. So I was there from whiteboard phase as a senior developer. And I just sort of dropped that and said, well, okay, let's see what this is about. And left to Vegas and uh, the, rest is, the rest is kind of history. So, you know, it, it was coming out of that that I started speaking more openly about my libertarian views. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, when I, I wasn't gonna risk my, my money while well, I was in Hollywood, right? I, I really wanted to wait until Showtime was like, okay, no more seasons, right? Because by season six, <laughs> the money was quite good, yeah. Uh, I must say. And um, so yeah, then I started speaking about my libertarian views. I had been interested in in Bitcoin and involved since about 2012, started developing in 2014 on that. I started talking more about that as well, um, doing podcasts and whatnot. And then it's it's just kind of grown from there. But I would say that you know, I, I think I think of cryptocurrency and certainly as I've moved further into it and moved further into Bitcoin, like it, it is all related to the psychological, the spiritual, mm-hmm. you know, what is trust? Why do we trust? Why do we value huh. things? Yes. Um, you know, I wrote a book in 2011 called Dow of the Gigolo that was very much about exploring that on a philosophical and spiritual level because I was asking myself, why are these women paying thousands of dollars just for me to hang out with them literally you know to date them mm-hmm. this is weird and it's so weird that people were like ah it must be fake that's it's got to be fake it's got to because they couldn't wrap their heads around this right but this was my everyday life and so it was about like what is well what is value and why do people value things um, and where does that come from and it's where is how are you seduced <laughs> Right. So like we see in Bitcoin and we see these maximalists and they're clearly seduced when they're like, oh, Bitcoin is it's digital gold. It's this, it's that. And all of the, and it's like, it's not, no, it's not. Right. It's none of these things, but you've hypnotized yourself into believing that, into believing that it's got this value. And so, and and they don't even question it. And so I think that that is a huge, you you know, I'm still the magic guy. And I, I hope that, you know, through conversations like this, that people can have a better appreciation for how much of their world is magic. And I think that it explains what we're going through right now.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's why I wanted to have you on. I heard you on with Pete Quinones and uh, here more recently, I think it was actually just yesterday on the up is down podcast. And both of those conversations went way over my head. Um, I had no idea what the heck you guys were talking about. I have since I think gotten a pretty firm grasp of what the dim age is. And I'd like to talk about that a little bit later, but first Um, I want to know what your definition of magic is, because magic seems to be, according to your Twitter anyway, everything from like tweeting out weird chants in foreign languages and Donald Trump getting the COVID virus. Um, Why are both of those things magic and what what's the common thread there?
1: Magic is the ability of an individual to or, or group to change reality through force of will okay and and it's specifically we need to talk about the dichotomy of the material and the mystical mm-hmm. um, these are two realities that we live in constantly so or two perspectives on reality that we live in right so it's like in in my book self ownership one of the places that I start from and I thought that I've I've thought that this is probably one of the greatest ideas that uh, Jordan Peterson has popularized that really hit me like a punch in the face, which is kind of what this is about. But it's like it is the idea that pain is real or at least or at least we we must act like it is real. Okay. right. So it doesn't matter how much of a sort of a uh, contrarian, like sophist type of uh, debater, we see a lot of these in the libertarian, how, how many people want to say, oh, we could just be brains in a jar and nothing is necessarily true or real. Or, and we see sure. this from both sides, the left and, and the right, and we see it down the middle too. But it's like, okay, nothing is real. Put your hand on that table. Here I've got a machete. If nothing is real, you should have absolutely no problem with, with me bringing this machete down on your hand. And then once I do, you should have absolutely no problem to just sit there right? And no problem. And so it's good to have some foundation of reality, right? Of what is real. And that's a good starting point that we say, well, at least pain is real. At least we, at least we have to act like that's real in order to move forward in the world. Right. And that's really the material, right? So the the mystical is the fact that I am making mouth noises right now and you, and, and I am taking my thoughts and they are going into your head. But those mouth noises aren't there. If you didn't speak my language, if you weren't already programmed, these mouth noises don't have any sort of material significance such as pain, right? right? That idea of the machete coming down, that goes, cuts through all culture, all everything, if it's a human, it doesn't even have to be a human being, right? Like an animal can understand that this thing coming at them, they're like, ah, right? right. So that's, that's reality at a material level. But we have this other reality that we cannot deny. And uh, Terence McKenna said something about consciousness that I thought was, is, is very deep, but he always said that consciousness is basically a realm of language, language. And that we construct our, we construct a portion of our reality. You could say the conscious portion of reality is constructed purely of language. Mm-hmm. So mathematics is a language. Physics is a language Th- what we speak is a language. Even our emotions are a language, right? And that I communicate them to you. And okay. so in the material, we change the world through the force of our will, through actually like taking our physical body and we pick up a rock and we move it from here to there, right? And we say, okay, I have taken this rock, I have moved it, I have changed physical reality. In the conscious, the realm of consciousness, I can get someone else to move that rock or to view that it is valuable to move that rock through language, I can make them believe something different about the reality of that. If that rock stays there and you don't pick that rock up and move it, we'll, we're all gonna die. Everybody's gonna die. And I, if I am effective enough with my use of language and my understanding of human programming, I can make that happen. And that is magic. So when we see magic represented in uh, you know, stories or whatever, It's always uh, an attention. So you've got the wand and you point it at something to say, here is my intention goes over here. And then words, Mm -hmm. I say words, magical words with intention going in this direction. And then something in the world changes. And so that is when I say magic, that's what I mean by magic. And that's why it's all of these different things. That's why it's Trump saying, don't fear COVID. I got COVID, don't fear COVID. Which that,
0: that right there got such a reaction from, I mean, the, you, you could like, you could, in a movie, it would be like the the little tendrils on the demon going back and hissing. Uh, the, the Washington Post said, Trump, uh, Trump tells us not to fear the, the virus in opposition to all of the science. You know, like as if, as if the science dictates what our emotions
1: need to be. Well, exact. Well, exactly. Right. That, because it isn't science. They're using this term science because science is a magic word. See okay. science, science, and, and they started it with the climate change uh-huh. thing that, that really set the stage of this consensus science. But it's, it's well known that when you say this is just a, a human sort of, it, it plays on the bug in the brain where you say, well, the majority of people want this, right? More doctors smoke camels than any other brand, (laughs) right? It's not like this hasn't been known. That these are ancient ways of saying, well, everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing it. And human beings, I mean, these psychological experiments have been done for a hundred years now Uh to where, uh, you know, if a human being, there's the smoke-filled room study, which is my favorite it's my favorite to show how this bug actually works. I don't know if you're familiar with the Mm smoke-filled room study, but in brief, it's like this. It's a psychological experiment. I think the first time that they started doing it is in the 60s, maybe 50s or 60s. Basically, uh, they take psychology grad students usually, and they say, okay, volunteer. Most, if you're in a psychology, you're a grad student, or you're a student at towards the end, you usually have to volunteer for a study that someone else is doing. And so these are students volunteering and they say, okay, come in, you're going to fill out a questionnaire. That's, that's all it's going to be, it's going to be a questionnaire, that's all we need. And then you're done with your requirement of volunteering. And so they bring somebody in and in the first sort of round of this, they bring in the participants, but they put them each in a room by themselves and they have them start filling out a a, a paper. And then they start pumping smoke under one of the doors. Now, mind you, they're in there by themselves and they start pumping smoke under the door and it comes in. It's usually between 10 and 45 seconds before they will get up, go out and be like, there's smoke coming in. Something's, what's going on? There's smoke coming in, right? 10 to 45 seconds now. And most people are like, well, of course, Okay, well, the second group they bring in, already in the room, are conspirators with the experimenter, right? So actors, other students or whatever, who are filling out already, they're filling out the questionnaire. And that now they put the subject in there. So now let's say there's three, four, five people in there and they start pumping smoke. Minimum is generally about three minutes if they get up at all so long as their conspirators keep writing and what you can go and see the videos of these actual experiments and it's crazy that the people will like they'll look they'll look to see what everybody okay and then they'll go back and then the smoke and then they're like and they're looking and so long as these people aren't bothered by it they just go along with it and you know, this is a, this is just a natural part of human behavior. And so when you start doing the, it's not science, it's not about science. Right. Right. And it's also the science thing is appeal to authority. Right. And there are other experiments about that too. I think the Milgram experiments, there's one where if there's a white coated uh, person and there's the fake shock, everybody's seen the fake shock, um, experiment where it's like they say, okay, turn up. Supposedly there's someone in another room. If they get the uh, they ask questions, if they get the question wrong, the person shocks them every time they get it wrong, they take the dial up. Mm -hmm. So long as there's a white coated person in the back who's a scientific authority who says, turn up the dial, almost everybody will turn it up to a point where it's fatal, even though they're supposedly hearing this person in the other room who's an actor going, oh, my God, stop. You're killing me. And then all the white-coated person has to do is say, please continue. And and you'll even see the videos of these people. They're holding their heads. They're like, oh, my God. I don't know if I should do this. And he's like, please continue. And they just turn it up. Zap. So the fact is we know. We know that that's what this is. Mm -hmm. And so when they say trust the science, they are hypnotizing you. They are using magic and the great part about this magic is that it is magic that is couched in a word that in the enlightenment was the word that was dispelling the magic, science as opposed to magic. But now it is the word science. So there's the magic again, Uh, it's language changing the meaning of things, right? So this is, so that, I think people, I would advise people to go and actually just go on YouTube and look at these studies. Go through and look and see this is well known psychology. And if you don't think it's being used against you by the people who want something from you, by the people who have no problem with you as a slave, you're crazy. Um, so, so that's where we're at. And the only, th- the only way to combat that is with magic. It's not going to be with logic. It's not going right. to be with reason, because as those simple experiments show, logic and reason don't play a part in these sorts of decisions when they're made by human beings.
0: Um, so, yeah, I I think that this this whole thing, this whole uh, ushering in of sort of a new era, um, might have started right around nine eleven when if you see something, say something became sort of the mantra and everybody was afraid of everything and everybody was afraid of everybody. Uh, And it's not just terrorism. It's, it's, you know, violent crime and Mm -hmm. child molesters and uh, Mm -hmm. crooked business people and crooked politicians and um, also terrorists Mm -hmm. and uh, and your neighbor I mean, everybody, everything was, everybody was paranoid about everything and it's only gotten worse and parents have raised their kids to be that way. And I I think when you've got two generations kind of living this, this fear-filled, emotion-driven existence, it takes something other than logic to drive out that emotion. So maybe that's why the, the sort of magical thinking is is taking so getting such a foothold right now. Um and you I don't know if it's you or Pete who keeps tri- beating the drum that we can't fight it.
1: Mm, that's probably it's probably me, but he, it might be him as well. I mean, yeah. I've been saying that from the beginning too. Resistance is a bad thing in this regard.
0: So what do we do instead? How how does so obviously libertarians are cold calculated logical uh we don't believe in magic. I so here, I have trouble even identifying my own emotions, let alone projecting magic out into the world. I mm-hmm. used to, you know, back in my, in my Christian days, I would stand on a stage and sing praises to the Lord with a microphone in my hand, and it meant nothing. It mm-hmm. was not a mystical experience in the least. It was just a mm-hmm. performance. I don't understand mysticism at all. So how do I how do I survive what's coming what's happening?
1: That's a, it's a good and interesting question. I mean to go to your first thought about like when did this start? Um you know, I mean if we it's it's not like these things haven't been with us. If we go back to the 80s there was what they called the satanic panic, right? Where yeah. they where there were all these daycares, oh, the daycare centers are Satanic worshipers and they're doing all these things with it's and you go back far enough and you've got the Salem witch trials, right? So it's like these mass hysterias happen. Mm. They're a natural part of the human experience. When the mystical seeps through, when fear takes over, these happen all over. They happen constantly. The difference in this case and and why this is even different than 9-11 is the internet and social media. Mm-hmm.
2: Um,
1: this is clearly clearly social media is a tool for spreading memes. It is that's I mean clearly. Yeah. That's that's what it does. It spreads memes. Yeah. And a meme is to is, is to ideas or to culture or to language and magic uh, what a gene is to a virus. And so if you know, we're going into this, what's funny is we've gone into this lockdown and social distancing regime. And the idea behind it is, well, let's do everything we can to stop the material genes moving between people. But what have we done instead? Well, let's go to distance learning. Let's move right. everything on social media. Let's work remotely. Let's do this. So in other words, let's increase the ability of the memes to travel. And I said from the beginning that like, no, no, no. The social distancing meme is the virus. Mm -hmm. Itself, it is the virus, the actual virus that is going to bring on the apocalypse, which is exactly what we're seeing. Right. An apocalypse meaning revelation, the the revealing, the lifting of the veil to show us, oh, what's really going on here? What's really underneath all of this is that, oh, it wasn't a genetic virus the whole time. It was fear. Oh, oh no. And then we just did everything in our power to to spread, to put ourselves into a situation where we could maximum spread fear. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. And that's why that's why it can't go away. So what I will say is this cold calculating people to a degree. uh, If if willing to if willing to alter perspective a little bit, I know this word magic is provocative. Right. Right. It's provocative and it's meant to be provocative because it's meant to be a state break. Because if I was to say that, no, there are these psychological things taking place and it's neuro-linguistic programming and there's hypnosis and there's this and that, well, people people will go, they'll, because I saw it, right? I saw it in the pickup artist scene. I saw that when it was presented as this sort of box and these steps that you need to check off, all of the people who viewed it that way never became good. They never became good at it. Yeah. It's in, in in very much the same way that, like, if you're learning to play an instrument, in some ways, the more methodical and less artistic your sort of training regime is, not only the less will you enjoy it, but you probably won't be that good. So when you see the people who are virtuosos uh, or even the people who are very good and were trained, that it's often the training that they received was a much more spiritual style of it. It wasn't do this, do this, do these scales, put your hand like this, here, let me do like this. It was like, no, listen to the music. Like, what do you see? Like, Mm -hmm. watch him play. What's happening there? Because that's how we, we need to communicate in that way because when you're playing an instrument and you're really there, that's a mystical. When you're truly competent at something, you are in the realm of the mystical. Right. When your body is just simply doing it. And and because what do they always say? I, I feel it. Yeah. Right. A great musician will just say he's feeling, he's not thinking, he's feeling.
0: In uh in the corporate world, you're in a state of flow. Flow, a flow yeah. state,
1: right? Yeah. But but that's just a word, see? Right. That doesn't really help. I can write books and books and books all day telling you about flow. But if you've never felt it. Reading all those books is never gonna help you. And once you've felt it, the book is superfluous. Mm -hmm. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And this is the reason why I'm using the term magic, is because once you see it, you can't unsee it. This is why I'm using the term the dim age, and this is why I've been going on and on, is that it's like all you need is to see it and to feel it and something will click it'll be like riding a bike. And then all of a sudden you've got the balance. Mm-hmm. Think about that for a minute, <laughs> right? The balance on a bicycle. You can't, what is that, right? Describe that scientifically. Tell me what's happening. Everybody who, who has, can ride a bike can feel it. They know what it is. And once you've got it, you can't lose it. That's what's so weird. <laughs> That we actually say, like it's like riding a bike, right? right? Once you do it, you can come back to it thirty years later, and you can still ride a bike.
0: Yeah, I, I jumped on a bike a few years ago, the first time since I was a kid, and I didn't forget. Like it, it, it was. I wasn't even like
1: wobbly. Um, no, you can't, you can't forget. So I, what is that? So what is that? Right. So when I say so, like I, you're saying, oh, I don't believe in magic. That well, what is that then? Yeah explain that to me go ahead explain it in a way that is rational and logical yeah. no you can't because there are tons and this is this is part of the human experience mm-hmm. and what i want people to start getting to is getting to a point of there are some things that we are going to need to feel in order to overcome this if if you don't feel the fear that's perfectly fine but you're also cutting yourself off from that thing, which is going to be the cure, because something is going to come out of this that is positive. Like at the same time that this fear is happening, it's building a different type of awareness in the world. And so, you know, a a practice of simply just trying to see the magical, even if it's like thinking long and hard about like, ooh, what's that bike thing, right? For myself, you know, um, psychedelic practice has been very helpful. That's like training wheels for spirituality for sure. Yeah. Um, having those experiences gets you there right away. Right. Um, so, so yeah, those practices are key and, and they're proven to help you to actually be able to come into, Mm -hmm. uh, the the mystical perspective. This is a, my,
0: so my mom keeps coming to mind in this and I'm going to get a little bit personal, but, uh, it feels like I probably should bring it up. So I'm going to. Um, And so my mom is the, she is the master of teaching little kids how to ride bikes. Just Mm. she has taught like me, most of my friends, my sister, my niece and both of my nieces, everybody who I know who's learned how to ride a bike, learned it from my mom. And my mom considers herself an empath. Uh, Mm -hmm. She is very attuned to other people's feelings. she, um, my, we uh, we lost my brother a few years ago, and she's been consulting mediums. Um, she herself believes that she has some ties to the spiritual realm. Um, she and she's she's done some things that I would consider dangerous if I believed in such things, uh, and maybe I do in the back of my mind. Um, what a <laughs> what? Where does that kind of where does that kind of stuff come in here? the the mediums and the and the and the smudging your house and, mm-hmm. um, you know the the stuff that you know your your Catholic school told you don't do that because you're just inviting more mm-hmm. suffering.
1: Well, I, it's I I think that this is interesting that your mom came to mind when we spoke about the learning to ride a bike and that it, and that it just so happens that she's a mystic, right? Yeah. Well,
0: no, I was going to, I was, I I was, I was washing dishes before we sat down tonight and that was, I was like, man, this, all of this stuff reminds me of mom. And so the bike thing was just the catalyst. So, so, but that, and
1: that right there is magic, Mm -hmm. right? So what are the chances that that would come up in that way? Right right i think that i think that it's those moments where we have to stop and we have to say wait a minute right wait a minute because i haven't even talked about the, the riding a bike thing before
2: mm-hmm.
1: right that's not something that i've ever brought up before in this in this context but that it would happen now after you've right. been thinking about that and then after that's the catalyst synchronicity young right. called that right and so it is to say that that um so, and and I think that it goes to the answer to your question, is these things are related, and there is something there in terms of changing reality, and those people who are empathic, those rituals will have a more significant meaning to them. Um, it will change their reality. It will change their belief. Um, it 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 changes the frequency, I guess you could say, that you're tuned to. Um, there's a reason why these particular rituals have stuck around, and it is because they, they, they work. We don't know why they work exactly. Like, why sage? Is it the, is it the odor, this particular odor? Is it the, the sort of the, the feel of the smoke around you? Is it the motion combined? It's probably all of them. Is it the intent as well? Set and setting is usually with the psychedelic experience. It's your mindset and the setting and then the chemical. Mm -hmm. So these things are, you have to understand that all of these rituals from the religious to those things that religion say, don't do it. These are all emergent phenomenon, Uh which means there were lots and lots and lots of different things that were tried, that were abandoned because they didn't have any effect. Okay. So the things that you see Are the things that are the most powerful, because they've stuck around. People would abandon them if they didn't work. Uh, It's not. It it, it is not. It it is just a misunderstanding of the scientific mind, and the 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 desire for an immediate and measurable response. something that is reproducible with the scientific method in the material space. And
0: I mean, sorry to interrupt you, but here, here in the last few years, I mean, science and especially the human sciences uh, are facing a crisis of replicability. They, they can't, they can't get shit to repeat.
1: Yes. Uh, That, That is, I think that that is crucially important to seeing when the, As being a symptom of the breakdown of the materialist Mm. age, so I, I, you know, I, I have talked about the human social cycle, and people can go and I've I've talked about it a lot about it's fascinating. Four energies, but also more recently, it's it. I've come to to sort of see, you know, when we look at a cycle, so like we look at a circle, a wheel. Think of a clock think of the orbits of the planets think of the think of the sun you know our our day cycle the 24-hour cycle right Mm -hmm. generally we're going to break that up into to fours it makes sense so we've got like midday midnight sunrise sunset this is what it's generally been broken up into the lightest time the darkest time and then the two times in between Mm -hmm. right and so really what we have is we have light and dark though. So we've got this dual, this dualism, we bisect right. it. Um, and then, you know, it's like when you're up, you're up. And when you're down, you're down. And when you're neither halfway up, uh, and when you're neither halfway up, you're neither up nor down. right? Or when you're only halfway up, you're neither up nor down. And so it's like the halfway up is the sunrise and sunset. And those are actually the most noticeable periods, you know, can you really tell noon? Yeah. You know, you can't really, can you really tell what's the darkest time of night? Not really, but you can absolutely tell when you first see the the light of the sun come over the horizon and when it's totally down, right? Mm. So it's in the transition periods and like the mystical and the material are now, so we're moving out of the material into the mystical, we had been at the height of the material. So you could call that the enlightenment. The enlightenment was really the height of the material. I would say the height of that is somewhere around the late 1700s. Establishment of the United States of America, you've got Rothschild starting out with uh, the banking system that we have. Like, I would say that that was like the intellectual height at that moment. Everything Mm -hmm. was sort of moving. Um, But as the mystical started to come, I think that it was really around the time. I think it was really the the atomic bomb. I'd say it was from 1945. Yeah. Um, and then you had, because it was in that war in world, in world war two that you had this rise of the mystical, like the Nazis starting to try to use the mystical, the Soviets certainly starting to try to use the mystical, the U S was doing it. Propaganda was coming. So that was like the return of the magician and things started to fall apart. Like the more science dug, the more they realized that it couldn't, the material couldn't explain everything, which had been the promise of the material, right? So you go back to the the height of the enlightenment and the philosophers speaking there, and the idea was that someday science would figure it all out, right? And I think that was even true, maybe into you know, my youth in the nineties and whatnot, was that there was still this idea that science would figure it all mm-hmm. out. And I think that we've, Real scientists have come to the point now where they're like, ah, we're not. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean. No, no, can't, can't do it. And it's like, ugh, but, but this, a lot of this is the backlash. And so that's the narrative we see with this virus. Oh, it's like nothing we've ever seen before. It's totally new. It's, we've never seen it. Oh, but we are gonna do all the things that we uh, know how to do with, oh, and scientists know. So it's like nothing you've ever seen before but the scientists all know exactly what you should be doing, right? right? To the degree that they're gonna lock you down and destroy the economies because they know, trust the science, oh, but it's like nothing we've ever seen before and it's like, whoa, that, w- what? And, and so and, welcome the dim age.
0: And not only is it that they know what to do, but what they know to do flies in the face of everything that we've ever seen to mitigate viruses. I mean of Jeffrey course. Tucker, who Jeffrey Tucker, who you interact with on Twitter a lot, um, has written. I love Jeffrey. I know we've
1: been friends for a long time. I love him.
0: Yeah, but he's written volume. Well, literally, he just released a book on it. Um, the 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 reaction to this thing is not science.
1: Like no, well the question <laughs> is is it the question is is it a reaction to. Uh, a virus, and that's what I'm trying to get people to realize that it's not. It's a reaction to the fear. It's not even a, I I don't think it's a reaction to anything. I think that it is a natural progression of a pattern that has been known for a very, very long time, right? So it's like the Tower of Babel. Uh, It is the story of Atlantis. It is this story, this ancient story of a civilization that reaches a point where they believe that they are like the gods that they t- that their technology and their knowledge is like the gods and they are mm-hmm. destroyed this is an ancient mythological pattern and it's saying something the reason why this pattern is there the reason why that tower of babel story comes after noah and the flood is that it's like noah was a technologist he used technology to quote unquote, save the world, right? And immediately, almost immediately gets corrupted in that, right? First thing he does, he plants a vineyard, he, he makes wine, he gets drunk, and then shit goes bad, right. right? Like the situation with his children, and it's very strange, right? What's going on? And But you notice, at the same time that we have this, what else has been picking up? Me Too movement sexual right. impropriety this idea of pedophilia we even have it with this hunter biden story like that it's like hmm, hmm, hmm. The, what are these oh. old stories trying to tell Sorry. us what are they trying to tell us and what they're trying to tell us is that like this is the pattern when you believe that you, you, that you've got it all figured out in the material shit gets corrupted and then you're going to make a push you're going to try Right. Ray Kurzweil, oh, the singularity is coming and we're gonna live forever. Right. This is the this is the technological eschaton, the mm. end point. For now, it's, like, it's that's the that's, tower of battle.
0: Yeah, that's a. I I think I think that's one thing. People hear the word apocalypse and think, oh, the end of the world. Well, no, mm-hmm. obviously, this isn't the end, but it's like you said, cyclical. And actually, the, the earliest Christians, um, yes, they did believe in you know, the last day when Jesus comes back, which is, as you discussed on one of your podcasts, actually, uh, sort of the recurring theme of human religions is the God that Mm -hmm. comes back. Um, Mm -hmm. But even they uh, believed in not like the thousand year reign, but in lots and lots of thousand year reigns. Yes. And lots and lots of apocalypses uh so yeah i mean maybe we are kind of at the at the end of one i think the number four too is really interesting because you -hmm. see it everywhere so it's in it's in your um human social cycle which uh is based on sort of the hindu caste system if i'm if i'm
1: correct that's correct the varnas Uh, yeah
0: yeah and you see it in the Jungian archetypes you've got uh those break down i guess into 16 but um you are kind of blocked into four. You, you even see it in like, you know, corporate training materials with like the disc profile. Of course. Um, of course. The uh, uh, so, sort of a riff on the human social cycle. One that really just focuses on American history is the the fourth turning, um, a mm-hmm. book that, yeah. And And so I don't know what the number four is, why it's so significant other than what you were
1: saying. Uh, well, it's the natural, it's the natural, uh, way that you break, break up a a wheel. Yeah. It's the, it's the, it's the natural one, right? You bisect it, then you bisect it again. Um, if you're, if you're designing, if you think about designing a wheel and you want to make a, a perfect circle or at least a usable circle, you're going to start with a crossbar Mm -hmm. like that's and and the 90 degree angle, right? So the 90 degree angle is incredibly important. Um, it's, it's the, the basis of any sort of design. So if you can get that 90 degree angle, so you get the Pythagorean, you know, you get the three, four, five. Yeah. The ancient Egyptians knew that and they that's how they made their right angles is you just get something that's a length of three, a length of four, a length of five, you put them together, you've got a right angle. That's very simple. Then if you just take a, so you've got your right angle now and then you take a, a string and you just bring it out on one of them and you just go around right and now you've got a right angle so you've got a piece of the pie mm-hmm. and so this is the this is just the natural when we abstract out the circle that's what we get and so when we think about cycles we have to think about circles right when you think about the thing that comes back obviously it's traveling in a circle and we look around but i think look the day is broken up into those four pieces the cardinal, right. the four cardinal directions, the four elements. Um, it's, it's just, it's, it's everywhere. It's something in the human mind of breaking things down into twos, and then to break that down even further into fours. But look, it's it's even binary, right? So it's bits and bytes, you know, it's two, four, eight, 16. Mm-hmm. Like th- these are, that's how we're speaking right now is the language of, of these of the dual, and then break the dual into into two when we got when we've got that and we've got the four. So again, where does this come from? We don't know. Right. Why is our consciousness organized in this way? We don't know. But it is. And so like that's the place that you have to start from. So from a well, f-
0: speaking to a materialist type person, how does this mystical stuff work? I mean, you you identify as an atheist, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Uh, I, I think that's probably the most useful way for me to right. identify. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> and I
0: I would say that I'm an agnostic Catholic, if that means anything. Uh. Okay. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so um yeah, like how does this do? You, do we just not know how it works? Why it works? Um.
1: Well, here's the, the question is, do we know how or why anything works? Mm-hmm. Really? Really? You know, I think that that's a, that's a huge arrogance in the material is that the people who know, uh, who think that we know how anything works are the people who actually don't know anything at all. Because when you start talking to a quantum physicist and you really drill down, they're going to be like, and you ask them, Well, how and why does any of this stuff work, or or a high level mathematician? They're going to just like to the side be like, "Uh, "We don't know." (laughs) We know that it does. Yeah. We can gain some basic rules about it. So through observation and through experience, we can get some rules about what works and what doesn't work, and then we can start. We can drill down into those rules. But when you drill far enough down into the rules it's that's the the mystery. Mm -hmm. And so this is where we get the idea of the mystery schools. This is where we get this ancient, ancient in the West. So we're going back to Kemet, to ancient Egypt and the mystery schools, and this is from, and Judaism comes from out of those mystery schools. I mean, whoever wrote the the Torah, certainly Genesis was an Egyptian priest, clearly Mm -hmm. who was escaping. I mean, that's what Exodus is about, right? So any religion that came with the Israelites was coming from out of Egypt, it probably m- melded with the um, some of the tribal religions that were in the area as well over time. And so that's where Chris- Christianity comes from, certainly. And that's where Islam comes from, which is mm-hmm. based on both of those. So the, the spiritual tradition of the West, you know, not to mention, then the, the occult mysticism that is drawn straight out of Egypt. Um, so, so when you go- get into the occult, you're also talking about something that came from the same place and the same sort of cultural milieu, right? (laughs) Um, There are rules, you know, there are there are definitely rules, my this has been informed, or I've been informed to a great deal with this, uh, with my experiences with ayahuasca. So I've done somewhere around 15. I think at this point, I can't even go back and count them up, uh, ayahuasca ceremonies. And You know, there is a process within that it isn't just taking a substance there's a a very much a ritual process i've sat with five different shamans. uh, Who all do approach it a little bit differently, but in sitting with that many you could see what things are necessary what things are not what things are powerful what things are not in that ritual setting and. There are rules. And the ones who are good at it, you can tell. And the things that they do, they are doing some things. And, and you know, the people who, the shamans who are willing to talk about it have said some wild stuff like, oh, now I can see an energy grid and like, you know, things will change in that grid and you experience it. Like you're laying there by yourself going through something in this trip and it's a little freaking you out or whatever. And you're in a room full of people and it's generally either quiet or there's a shaman singing and you start to feel something crazy and then all of a sudden boom the shaman is there in your face mm-hmm. and blowing the sacred tobacco and singing in a particular song and oh, all, all of a sudden and it's like whoa first off how the hell did you know i was going through that right there's 20 people here i'm having a tough time and all of a sudden the second that i'm having a tough time boom you're there no i can see it they say right no i saw i saw it you saw what, and I, I think I
0: remember you saying that it's dark, right? Like they, they're it's not completely dark. Yeah, which it's I thought dark. that that no pun intended shed a lot of light on on all of this. You, uh, you were talking about how the enlightenment was supposed mm-hmm. to shed light on things, and in the magical realm, you really want to shed dark on things, and it's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Like it's not it's not like light is good and dark is evil. It's just the other side, right? Is
1: it is that- why, do, why do you close your eyes when you pray? Why do you close your eyes when you meditate? Yeah. Right, your eyes are photoreceptors. You're, you're trying to, sh- why do you sh- close your eyes when you're trying to concentrate on something and think of, remember, oh, what was that thing? Why do you close your eyes by nature? Why are you trying to, for the light to not be there? It's because you're trying to reduce the external stimuli When you're, when you're looking for your destination in the car, you turn down the radio. radio. Yeah. Yeah. You turn the radio down. (laughs) And you probably would close your eyes if you could. (laughs) Exactly. Well, think about, and so think about that. So again, we know these things, Mm -hmm. but then it's like, well, explain that though. Explain that. Right. How do you, it's just, we would just, when you ask like, well, how or why? It's like, well, how or why? Like, how do i even give you an answer to that it's just what we do it's just how it works that if i want to think of something and concentrate so i want to go inside i need to have less stimulus but the material exploration the enlightenment is all about no shed more light so we can see it better so we can observe it so we can experience it the stimuli Right. So everything that we do in the material is like about enhancement. Make it louder so that we can hear it. Telescope so that we can take that amount of light and we can expand it and see it or microscope so that we can see into the into the, you know, the microcosm that's down there. But it's the total reverse in the mystical. Mm-hmm. It's the total reverse when you're going into the, the internal realm, the realm of consciousness. Right. The eyes are closed. It's just that you're closing off the external light. Because when we dream there's light, you can dream that you're on a beach. There's plenty of light there. Well, where is that light coming from? There's no light hitting your eyes. Where is that light coming from? Somebody's gotta explain that to me, right? Go ahead, explain it. Right. Some scientists go ahead and explain (laughs) when I dream that I'm on the beach, where is that light coming from? If the only reason that I'm seeing light is because there's light hitting my eyes and it's going into my brain, what I can remember photons, Mm. explain that to me. No, you can't, you see, but yet we experience it all the time. But what's interesting is we've been in an age that has denied that. Right. And what we have to understand is that before that age, It was all about that. So the Dark Ages was, you know, in Rome, they were denying that too. The reason that the Western Roman Empire fell into the Dark Ages and was overtaken by the Dark Ages, when the Eastern Empire Byzantium wasn't, the the main reason is Christianity. Mm -hmm. Is that at that moment, the entire world wanted to go mystical. They needed to go mystical. Mystical. Eastern Empire, Constantine—he must either he felt it, he realized it, something. He was a spiritual guy, right? And he was like, you know, the 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 saying that he saw in the sky sky, a flaming cross, cross, right? And it was like, in this sign, you shall conquer or whatever, you know. So he introduced a spiritual technology in Christianity that allowed them to survive that move. And, of course, right. they went and put the cross on all their
0: physical uh, technology yeah. as well, shaped their swords like it, put it all over their shields. They uh, did.
1: All that stuff. Well, but, but it's it's to say that the material never leaves either, right? Uh-huh. It's just which idea is dominant. Yeah. See, Rome didn't have an answer for that. And that's if we want an example. So I think this maybe goes to answer your question, right? Is that if we want to take a historical example of how do we either culturally or individually survive this and thrive in this period let's look to rome because western rome fell and it, but what it fell to was it fell to cultures that were that had a deep mystical aspect to them already the barbarians mm-hmm. right they had a deep appreciation of the mystical and that was the direction that the world wanted to go But the Eastern Roman Empire was able to survive for another thousand years, not just survive, to be Byzantium was the world power, right? Over everything until until Islam came along. So we're talking a thousand more years, Byzantium, Eastern Roman, they considered themselves Romans. They spoke Latin. They were Romans, they just called themselves Romans. Uh, They had the, the emperor and the whole nine. Why, 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 why did they get another thousand years? Why? And the reason why is because they adopted something that could f- embrace and fit the mystical. Mm-hmm. That people wanted the mystical. Here's this mystic. You're gonna go. You're gonna tr- you're gonna eat the the your God's flesh. You're gonna drink his blood. Actually, we do these magical words over the top, and it actually turns it into the flesh and blood of God. Right. And you will. That's about as mystical as it gets. <laughs> right, yeah. Forget the forget what you're looking at. Forget that it looks
0: like a cracker and wine. The substance, the essence yes. has changed. Yes. Huh. That uh and speaking of change, and I know we're a little bit over time. Do you have a few more it's, minutes? Uh, we can keep going. It's fine. All right, cool. Yeah. So speaking of change and um that sort of thing, I, I uh I would like to know your feelings on the current trend in sort of shaping subjective narratives. My truth is different from your truth. Um, I I know that I appreciate it because I'm a gay man and the truth up until a few years ago was that because I couldn't breed, my relationships were invalid. And a lot of my friends who right now are experiencing, um, they're, you know, what's in their pants doesn't really match what's in their brain. And they're just right. now getting to experience, to, to describe their experience in words. And to me, that kind of fits in with this magical stuff, but uh, not necessarily in a bad way. Um. But on the other hand, you have a lot of people pushing back and saying, look, what your narrative is doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is the narrative. Mm. Is that
1: yes uh, so so th- th- what's interesting is that there are there are two sides of this this is a this is actually a very important and i think interesting question about what is the healthy way to approach this scenario right so mm-hmm. i think that there are two unhealthy ways one on on either side um that that gets you basically not where you want to be the first one is to and and i in some ways i feel like they're both Two sides of the same material coin, right? So, one is the narrative in this particular context, right? So, whether we're talking about gender, whether we're talking about sexuality, um, you know, whether we're talking about orientation, Mm -hmm. the and and race for that matter, too. I mean, obviously, race, you you don't want to forget that race, race, all of of these identities, Mm -hmm. right? Um, The first one is to say that it is the material that determines your identity wholeheartedly, Mm -hmm. right? Is that it's like, look, you're this, uh, this is what biology says, right? And that's always what that side goes to. right? Biology says this, biology says that, but isn't that just the man in the white coat sitting behind you saying, please proceed? Like, isn't that just what that is? (laughs) Trust the science. Trust the science, like, (laughs) okay. So we already know that that's not the side to go, that there is a, that there is, that science doesn't have all of those answers clearly right because at the end of the day what it's about is it's about it's about human flourishing and it's about the development of the consciousness of the individual at the end of the day that that's what we want is we want people whose consciousness is the most raised Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean putting people in boxes. It's the exact opposite of that, right? It's about saying, you know what? Weird, don't be so arrogant as to believe that you even know what the box is, right? So that's the first side. But I think then the second side is to say, is the reaction, and it is to say, no, let's just blow all of that apart. Uh Let's just be complete nihilists to the point where there there are... no possible boxes whatsoever. <laughs> and let's induce people or let's incentivize people to be as nihilist as they possibly can when it comes to identity. As though identity is actually not that important. And the unfortunate part that we get with that is the forcing of others to, like that that I can actually almost be a identity vandal. Mm-hmm to where you're forced, whatever I say I identify as, you are gonna be forced to identify me as that. And so I can just like troll you with through the use of state violence. It becomes becomes at once like something that's completely irrelevant and also the most important thing in the world. Yes, (laughs) yes, yes. Yeah, And and so there's both of those have a natural contradiction within them. Yeah. And I think that the the cultures who have approached this and many, many cultures have gotten this right. That's the thing. Mm -hmm. It's 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 not that there aren't examples of cultures where these things were settled and dealt with long, long ago. Right. So it's like I'm here in the Pacific. And when it comes to particularly ideas of gender um, and sexual orientation, that's been handled in polynesian and micronesian culture for a long time. Yeah. It's just not an issue. And and I think and and people are just able to express themselves and it's celebrated to a certain degree, right? The catholics who took over certain parts of here really like did a good number of r- removing that sort of positive aspect, but it has it's still stuck around to a point where people didn't really Like they were like, eh, we don't, I know the Catholics say that we should care about this, but we kind of don't. Right. Right. And just be who you are and we can appreciate you for who you are. And I think that that's, I think that may be the big moment in the dim age. The big moment in the dim age may be like, okay, we finally have the opportunity to start viewing other human beings as points, as these points of consciousness, Mm -hmm. as the divine spark and then be like, "Ooh, what vessel did you get?" right? So it's like you got a spark, the spark, and you got a unique little piece of the spark, the consciousness side, which is maybe your personality, which is aspects of you. The astrologers would say that it's because you were born in this sun and right. this moon, and this planet. And, the, and and the white coats are
0: going to are going to argue over whether it was something that you were born with or something right. that you learned before the age of 4.
1: And it's and and you know, I think that we have the opportunity to say to, to be that like Nordic Chad and just say yes. Yeah. Right. It's all, it's, it's all of that, and it doesn't matter because right. whatever it is, it's who you are right now. And so it's for me to be like, wow, okay, here you are at this point in time, as this point of attention, and these are the things that are you. Mm-hmm from the physical to the psychological to the personality. And for me to just relate to you as you and appreciate, appreciate that like we are here in this moment and what does that mean? Because of all the people on earth that we could be interacting with right now, it's you and I interacting with each other, right? And. This is the, I view this as perhaps the greatest opportunity for a lot of the bullshit on both of those sides to go away, Mm -hmm. right? That it's not even about acceptance or tolerance, that it's like curiosity, yeah, interest. What a, what a interesting and weird thing like it's weird that i'm here in this moment and like you are too and like let's experience that together and like what's going on you know what i mean and we have an opportunity to do that and i feel like the the mystical done right is that yeah
0: great I had an experience like that today, actually, and I, I know we're over time, and I, I no, need. No, go, go. go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and this is this is so mundane. I have a new coworker mm-hmm. in my in my job, and we were doing our little Zoom intro to to get to know each other, and she told me, "Hey, like we were just talking about." Nonsense, and she told me I I have this product that helps me sleep better, and I had seen an ad for that online, and I was like, why the hell would anybody ever buy that? And I find I like it just so happened that now my coworker is like their their absolute target market, so I had to like that was the bulk of our conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it, it was a little connection. It it's it opened up other doors talking about anime and gaming and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But you know, it made us more human than just
1: coworkers. the curiosity right and it's it's and, and i think that that is the drawback of the of the identity thing on either side right you know like you say it's not important but it's the most important thing in the world both sides have it wrong right it's it's about where is your value hierarchy right because somebody telling somebody telling me um you know, what their sexual orientation is, what their race is, what their ethnicity is, all of these things tells me so little about them. Mm -hmm. Like at the end of the day, it like, it tells me, I mean, I guess it might tell me something about people who are more like NPCs, but it tells me very (laughs) little of most of the people that I'm around, Right. because most of the people that I'm around are iconoclasts anyway right? Or the people that I like to spend my time around are the people who, where, where they're like, oh, but that's so different than how I thought X identity thing. Oh, but you're not like the other X identity, right? Identity, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, yeah. And neither are you well, if you will just open open your eyes and wake up.
0: You and know? the two sides, I mean, especially like with black people, if you are a black person who does not toe what is supposed to be the party line you are on the right you're their token and on the left Mm -hmm. you're an uncle tom and you are well i mean look at
1: look at kanye look at ice cube look at 50 cent right and it's just like no maybe there's more to this right maybe people have self-interest and maybe these guys you know you might think you look at these these three individuals in particular, right? It would be different if we were just talking about like, oh, pop musicians, mm-hmm. right? But you're talking about three people who have had great success, not just in music. They started in music young, right? But Ye has done like, number one, he's married He's married into the Kardashians. Right. He's, he's a fashion designer who's like well-known for that. You know, musically, I think he's got, of, of all the artists on the Billboard top, 500 he's produced more of the albums on the billboard top 500 than any other person right so he's the top in that Mm -hmm. you you look at ice cube and it's like dude the movie producing the friday movies and all of that the you know and he's done he's done all of these things and 50 cents same thing right vitamin water the the uh producing of the this power show on stars that's getting all of these accolades and awards and everything and so it's like okay Maybe these are some thoughtful individuals. Maybe the reason why they've been successful is because they actually know something that you don't know. (laughs) Right. Maybe because it would be something if it was just the music. But it's like, no, but it hasn't been just the music. It's been a lot of different things. You know what I mean?
0: I mean, Kanye, if there's anybody who's magic, it's Kanye. I mean. Oh, he's a magic man. He can, he can, he, he warps reality just like, you know, by talking, by tweeting, mm-hmm. releasing mm-hmm. an album. I mean, he, he released an album and all of a sudden there's all these Christians all of a sudden. what? How did that happen? You know? Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, all right. Well, we didn't, we didn't get into the dim age. Um, so <laughs> i I'm think
1: gonna, we did. No, I yeah, think we
0: did. We did. did I... We did. And I would, uh, I would commend to the audience the Freeman Beyond the Wall interview that you did with Pete Quinonez, uh, where you kind of talked about it. Follow either all of us on Twitter. Um, just look for hashtag the Dim Age. You'll understand it. It's great. Um, <laughs> and it gives you a good understanding of what Vin is coming from. Uh, also, your social cycle videos that's called the Ascendant Project
1: on YouTube. That was that was something that I did in in a a moment of, in a time of incredible inspiration in my life and I had did not know why I felt compelled to do that, but clearly I did. Mm -hmm. And um, it sort of sat there for a few years, right? Like it was 2016 and it was just sort of sitting there until it was needed and now's the time, so. Well,
0: yeah, I mean, 2020 has been a year for that. I mean, Mm -hmm. right now every libertarian is either well, not every, there is still a handful of libertarians who think that the libertarian party and electoral politics (laughs) is the way to go. But every other libertarian is either using Trump magic and meme magic and Keck Mm -hmm. or they're agorists and just trying to, to, to get by. And that's actually where I, where I found you was on that Unloose the Goose podcast that uh, you were Mm. briefly affiliated with. Um, And then through, you know, through, through Pete Quinones' podcast as well. So yeah, I think we're just in a complete time of flux. There's a there's a there's a complete reorientation that's going on right now, and it's really it's really really fascinating to watch. Um, and I'm hoping that there's plenty of opportunities for people of goodwill to prosper. I think there are. So, I thanks agree. thanks a lot for joining us, Vin. Uh, is there anything you'd like to plug? You got any projects going um- on?
1: Yeah, I mean if, if people are interested in uh I mean on the agarist tip we've been doing for almost four years now an uh agarist newsletter called Countermarkets. People can check it out. It's at countermarkets.com. Um, I subscribe I it's, a, it, it's I... a
0: great it's a great investment. Oh, thank it's you. a
1: yeah. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I mean it's uh we're very proud of it. Um, you know, I usually have some some of my my more forward thoughts i'll put into there before i start speaking about them publicly and then we have a great telegram group for all subscribers that is it's really awesome if you if you just the 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 amount of expertise in there about all of the sort of subjects that are surrounding algorithm is pretty yeah. pretty impressive so um yeah countermarkets.com if people want to check it out you get your first issue for free and besides that just follow me uh on twitter at vin armani
0: yeah that's all right. it. Great, Vin Stradamus, thank you so much. We will talk thanks, soon. James. All right, thanks again to Vin Armani for joining me for the Urban Agorist podcast, episode number six. Once again, you can find today's show notes along with links to all of Vin's stuff at urbanagaristcom six. And one last plug, We've got the Seed Summit coming up. You know, food security is more important now than it has been in the last couple hundred years. I think it's very, very important that people at least have the knowledge of how to grow their own food and preserve their own seeds. So be sure you check out urbanagorist.com summit to sign up. It's free to join. I'll be there uh, and there will be a lot of teachers there educating us on how we can gain some semblance of food security in this sort of insecure time. And until next time, live free. This is the way-